Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Carolina Clark Grom with us today, who is on the steering committee for um, now my brain's Ally, Allies, Allies for Racial, Racial Equity. Equity. Thank which you. <laughs> is a Unitarian Universalist uh, white ally group, um, and that we work largely within Unitarian Universalism, but so many of the membership are also engaged in racial justice issues elsewhere. Um, including in showing up for racial justice, surge, and um, so many other places. Yeah, and right that's S U R J. So mm-hmm. when you hear surge, it's S- if you see the acronym S U R J uh, floating around in the blogosphere and social strata and all that kind of stuff, then then you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in light of all the things that have been happening in the news lately, then we thought it would be really amazing to have Carolina come in and sit in with us today. So um, so strap in. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I think she's going to rock all our rides right now. So, um, but I really, I really, uh, I really love this because it is that space where even just picking the categories for this broadcast, um, I feel like this is lifestyle, politics, and society, and spirituality sort of all wrapped into one, um, which is the kind of stuff that we totally groove on here at Kitchen Table Alchemy. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, this is, I'm really excited about what's going to happen today. So um, I'm going to try to find us online um, so that I can see questions as they pop up. And there we are. Okay. So now just click on comments where... Is it going to do See it? If it'll do it. Mm-hmm. Am I there? It'll yeah. let you comment. Okay. But no one else may have commented. Okay. Yet, so I don't know what's out. happening. Did we go out already? Okay. So, yeah. um, okay. So let's, uh, shall we dive it in? It looks like we're, it looks like we're recording. It does look like we're recording. So. Somebody's there, but I'm not seeing us online. Okay. So I will just keep looking. No, if you click play, then it'll Oh, do I have play. to click play? Yeah. But you don't want to do that because then it will like Double. play it yeah, on I don't your computer do that. and we'll get this echo feedback thing. Okay, we're figuring this out. Yeah. It's going to be all right. We're trying out, yeah. <laughs> it's what's for dinner. I know, right? And then yeah. I just went away totally. Wait. There's two people watching. I know, we got folks on. Okay. Yay. So um, so hopefully I will be able to see you. Hi, I'm two not... people watching. <laughs> okay, so let's just kick in and I'll try to figure this out. <laughs> we're doing it a little differently today. There's like a phone and a laptop and another phone and it's... And another laptop. Yeah, we've got like five devices on this. I feel table. like I'm in that Portlandia episode where his eyes like roll back in his head. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, so what we wanted to do was really start out because Carolina has been doing uh, racial equity training for. A long time. A long time. Not as long as other people, though. I just want to be clear. I consider myself very, very new in the work. But um, I've probably been training for about four four or five years now. Okay. Um, so um, on and off. Okay. And, and so, so she's yeah. been doing this work for a while and um, really heavily involved in it. And so what we wanted to do was start off with um, talking a little bit from a... Uh, it's kind of a beginner's perspective. I think there's been a lot of people um, with the events that have been happening lately that have just finally woken up and gone, 
wow, I had no idea. Um, and I want to thank all the friends of mine that have come out and told their stories, especially um, African-American men, telling their stories of, I've got friends that are doctors, that are lawyers, that are accountants, that are coming out and telling stories of you know how they've been pulled over like 25 times in one year for things like air fresheners hanging from their... Um, their rear view mirror because yeah. that was obstruction of view, right? Like, so, um, so I'm really grateful for, for, for those friends that are going out and telling their stories now. Um, because I, I know it's difficult to say that. And I'm sure when you're in it, you want to just quit thinking about it. Like I'm really, um, humbled and amazed and honored, um, that people go through this kind of stuff as part of their daily and certainly weekly routines in life. And they are still beautiful, loving, open people, right? Because I don't know that I would be that if I was going through all that stuff all the time. Um, And I did have... Uh, I, I wore a hijab for three years. So I did go through that for three years. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore because I'm like starting, I'm so entrenched in the us versus them mentality. Yep. And I don't know how to shake that off. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was trying constantly to not, but I just kept falling back into it and back into it. Um, and I, I could take that off. Right. So, yeah. um, and you can't take your skin off. Like you're, you're, you're in that all day, every day. And so, um, so just big props to the people that are, are uh, dealing with this all the time and, um, and still have open hearts. So I'm the, for me, the blessing in all of this is that it is waking people up. The noise is loud enough now um, that it is starting to wake people up. And, um, and so we want to have a conversation today about the things that we can do to further open our eyes, to understand what's going on, and to recognize how we play into this, right? Um, this is a system. So it's, it's beyond, um, it's beyond our individual ideas and beliefs and prejudices that we've worked individually to work out. This is systematic. So we've got to take this to a different level in the way that we respond to it. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, um, John Gatto, Mm -hmm. uh, has written some amazing books on education. Um, he wrote a different kind of teacher, And one of the things that he talks about is, like, here is the educational system is full of people that love children, that have this, um, you know, they really, uh, they have all these really beautiful ideas about the society that they want to build, and they see education as the means to build that society. And yet, with this system full of really good people with beautiful intentions, these terrible things are happening in our education system, and it is clearly not helping us build the world that we right. are proud and happy to give to our to, to those that come after us. Right. So, um, so I think the same kind of thing is happening when it comes to the way that racism and white supremacy is woven into the system that we live in, yeah. and um, and for us to start kind of paying attention to that and and recognize that this goes beyond our individual. Oh, it just went out. This <laughs> goes okay. beyond our individual. Um, it goes beyond our individual. We need to dig in and find those individual beliefs as well. Um, but to see that it's systematic. And Carolyn, and, I think, has And a- I think a really important thing, because um, as we were sort of preparing for this and you guys were talking about white supremacy, and I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> I think that, that I know for me anyway, you know, that's not a term that I identify with. You know, I think of white supremacy as something that happened ages ago. And, you know, I'm this, you know, intelligent 
intelligent, modern person who um, accepts people of other races. And so, you know, when I hear someone saying, you know, and, and I remember when I first heard of the white privilege thing, too, I had that reaction of, well, I'm not like that. That's not me. <laughs> and so I think I think what I'm looking forward to hearing today is talking about how there is stuff, there are parts of white supremacy culture that are so ingrained in the way our society works and the the what we're just used to that we don't realize it's there. Right. That, that, that the racism is no longer always this overt, you know, no. calling people the N-word. It's underground. It's under, right. It's subconscious. It's happening below yes. the surface. And so that's what I'm hoping to explore today yeah. is really talking about how can we not blame or shame ourselves as right. thinking, then oh, I'm this bad white person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But really saying, oh, these are the things that I have been subconsciously trained to take for granted, and and right. and now I can become aware of that and do yeah. something differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because I think a lot of people have this idea that uh, white supremacy means you're a skinhead with a swastika right. tattooed right. on over your ear, and you're like this all the time. <laughs> and and those people are obviously still around. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them were more like, than we thought there right, were. Apparently, the, the, the TP ticket is showing us how many there are. Um, so that is still there. But I think. Um, a lot of people have this perception that, that mm-hmm. that's what that means. Right. And right. the truth of the matter is the white supremacy culture perpetuates itself through unexamined bias. Right. Yep. Yes. Right. That's how it perpetuates itself bias. is through yeah. unexamined bias. And we and, all have it. And, and actually yeah. through and actually through one of the aspects of white supremacy culture, which is essentially individualism, right? Um, which which keeps us from looking at the larger picture and lo- and having a systemic analysis. Uh, there's we we all. So can you explain that a little bit more? When you say that individualism contributes to white supremacy culture, so, can you like break that down a little bit for folks? So we were kind of hoping to not do this in the first twenty minutes, <laughs> but. And, and I think I want to go a little deeper into it a little bit later, right? Okay. But but the fact is is that that we we are a nation of individualists. Um, if we look at Garrett Hofstede's work, um, we will find that um, we will find that we are kind of like way over here on the individualism scale. So we tend to think in the terms of I, right? right. Which which very much overlaps with the terms of the ego, right? Yes. But I, and it's like I am not racist. Um, which uh, we can have that conversation because <laughs> we all are. But then we don't realize that, that you know, I, I am not shooting black men in the street, right? My friends are not shooting black men in the street. Um, I have black friends, right? You can take that with whatever grain of salt you want, right? But, um, but the truth is, is that the system itself, okay, has, has set up, has set black folks up to be at the bottom of the social hierarchy the entire time. It is the reason we have mass incarceration. It is the reason we have disproportionate incarceration of black folks above all other I think All they've been people. recently displaced by Muslims, but still yeah, very well, much yeah. about, yeah. you know, <laughs> but let's just be real about where that comes from. Yeah, right? right. Like, so, you know, yeah. like that, the, what I, what I like about a, a, an analysis of the culture, which is essentially white dominant, white superior culture, which is how we even, I mean, the history of colonization right. is rooted in white Christian dominance 
and that we could take the land and subjugate those people who were here before because they had no souls. Okay, that's actually rooted in the doctrine of discovery, which is a series of papal bulls that came out in the, I don't, I don't even know, 1500s or something, which gave us the right to come over here. In our minds. Do, well, what, we, right. do, what, we, do what we will, take the <laughs> land, rape the women, all of those things, right? So it was, it was essentially white European Christian people who were superior, who felt themselves right. superior. Who felt themselves yeah. superior, right? But by this doctrine, were superior and were allowed to do all of these things. Right. And our nation was actually founded on this. This is why we had a nation where all men were created equal that still was surviving economically on, on, on a system of slavery. Labor. So I want right. to pause you right there and tie this into the personal and the spiritual journey. Um, mm-hmm. So Friday night, I was at a, a fireside with... Um, Calvin Terrell, who also does a lot of racial equity work here in town, um, well, all over the country actually. But uh, so we were we were talking um, we were talking about some of these issues, and uh, we were talking about the struggle between the the spirit and and the material, right? Which mm-hmm. is this uh, set up in a lot of different religions. This idea that um, that you're you're constantly struggling with the spirit and material and. We read um, a piece of scripture from the Baha'i texts um, that was using the same language that you find in the Abrahamic traditions and right. things like this. Um, and I and I said that I have an issue with this language of that the spirit should dominate the material, that it should dominate the animal spirit. Like, mm-hmm. right? We use all this language, and and I have because when we set up our inner power balance in terms of domination and war right. exactly then we we that spills outwards and we have a society where domination and war are not only justified they're righteous right. and i think if yeah. we if we look at the sort of the, the buddhist idea of do no harm right mm-hmm. um it is impossible to have a war and not do harm because you are harming the planet you are harming people you are using right. resources in the spirit of not right so it just causes all these problems and if we're looking on like a very pulling it back to the political in america mm-hmm. the reason we don't have so many of the things that people are struggling right Healthcare livable wages, uh, you know, all these kinds of good education, being able to get a college education and not be ridiculously in debt. If we weren't fighting these wars, we would have the money to take care of those things, right? right? right. So, um, but if I, I like to, being a relationship alchemist, um, I like looking at that instead in terms of a marriage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if I'm yeah. looking at the marriage of the spirit and the material, if I'm looking at a marriage, if I'm looking at building a community within my heart mm-hmm. of these different emotions, impulses, right? right. Obviously, everything has to have You're not place. trying to choose one over the other. It's not about right. who's going to win. And that's something that we see in politics, too. The It's us versus them. Are the Democrats going to win or the Republicans? And a lot of those debates around issues becomes this sort of either or. We can have this or we can have that. And one thing that I thought of when you were talking about individualism mm-hmm. and then collectivism is kind of the opposite of that which is the idea that uh, it's about the society as a whole and that all the individuals are really there to serve the society. And, and, and that can be taken to an extreme too. Exactly. And so what I, after I read about 
that a while back. I was like, oh, I think the the key is in finding that balance where people get to be individuals and they are part of a community and and which I think ties into what you're saying about the marriage, right? It's trying to find that collaborative. I think we're so so deep in binary thinking, which is also a component of white supremacy culture. And like, since we're already in it, right? Like we're already in it. So I just want to, I like to cite sources a lot um, because we're going to have an amazing everything everything that I do has come from other amazing people who have been in this work 10 times longer than I have. Um, One of the the analyses, and that's why I I really go, because I believe that white supremacy is the root of racism. It is the root of patriarchy. It is the root of kind of like all the isms we have. You know, we have white, hetero, cis, normative culture, right? And this is the norm, and this is the standard, and everyone else is other, right? Right. So one one of the pieces that I found, or actually, we'll go with the book first. There's a wonderful book by a woman named Tema Okun, which is T-E-M-A-O-K-U-N. She's been doing racial justice work for probably longer than I've been alive. Um, And she's written several books. And one of my my favorites is The Emperor Has No Clothes. I've heard of that and I've never read it. It's it's fabulous. And one of the things that... She she talks a lot about all of these things around white supremacy culture in this, um, but there is kind of like this laundry list of of identifiable cultural markers that also show up in other cultural material, like Garrett Hofstede's work. I should should I wait? No, it'll come. Yeah. Okay, well, so, and we're recording, we're recording on the podcast. So if you oh, miss great. anything, you can always okay. watch, listen to the podcast again. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> like Garrett Hofstede's work, where he did like cultural dimensions theory back in the seventies, which he you know worked on for twenty years. Um, where he said that, you know, cultures exist on a scale between individualism and collectivism, right? Um, On a scale between high-context communication and low-context communication, which is much more direct, where you don't need any context, right? But high-context communication, let's say a a Japanese tea ceremony, right, would be very high-context communication. You need to know a whole lot um, in order to understand the communication that's happening in that ceremony. Right. Because right. there's so much, like, nonverbal type of right. stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, so uh, uh, Tema Okun had kind of do, does a lot of organizational work and with, like, nonprofit organizations who are doing, like, justice work. And then she would keep on finding these... Um, um, she would find these things happening within the organization, right? She would find individualism happening within the organization, perfectionism happening within the organization, which here are these organizations that are trying to essentially move counterculture and change the status quo. But within the organization, mm-hmm. the same thing was still happening. So, um, I so think it's she, fascinating that she, perfectionism yeah. is right. one of those markers. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's something that I realized a, a while ago is that Really, to have change on a massive scale, you have to work at the individual level, Absolutely. which is a big part of why we do this podcast yeah. is to help individuals become more wiser and you have able to do it. To, right, yeah. to, you have to. It isn't. It is not. And so, I think one of the, the the things that I end up in any training going to is the problem is not out there. No, right. it's not. Right, the problem is in here. Right. It's not only in here. You know, I am not going by becoming a more peaceful and a more aware and better anti racist I am not going to end mass incarceration, right? right? Like I am not going right. to, I'm not going to end black people getting shot in the street. Right. But the fact is I am part of the problem because I am enculturated in this society. I hold these views and I operate in this society in this way. 
So um, there's right, a and great, I think that's too why movements like Martin Luther King's movement and Gandhi's movement were actually spiritual movements. Yes. Yeah, and everyone they have in, to be. Everyone in they those movements was doing deep spiritual Internal work. Internal work, yeah. Right. And, and then after that, going, going out, out into the street, right, to mm-hmm. do this kind of thing. And then after going to the street, then you come back inside to do this deep work. Right. I was just thinking of that exact same concept earlier inside today. Out. Inside That's out. crazy. Inside out. Oh inside out. Yeah. It's like this infinity symbol, so. right? Yeah. So, so did you just wow, get chills? I did. Yeah, that's that's awesome. like one of those things. Where <laughs> okay. like, oh my god! It's like I was preparing for this podcast and didn't even know it. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about it for a book I'm writing actually, where um, where there's like a spiritual world and that a lot of the story takes place in. And so I was thinking about okay, yeah, stuff that happens here affects what happens there, and then uh, yep. it affects there. It is and it's like just this, right back. Yeah, and it's forth. like this infinity symbol right. going out, yep. coming in, going yeah. out, coming in. Yeah, so exactly. there's a great article you can Google online, and it is called, believe it or not, White Supremacy Culture. <laughs> <laughs> and it is by um, Tema Okun and Kenneth Jones. Um, and that is kind of, it's not a complete synopsis of the book, The Emperor Has No Clothes, but it's it, it's kind of a little bit distilled down and easily, easily readable. And there's great solutions offered. And stuff like that. Now, that's usually used for organizational analyses, like to go into an organization. So, like, are you? So, the whole point is not to like move completely to collectivism, right? The extremes of that scale are are just as unhealthy. Right. We yeah. can't subsume the individual entirely. That's not. Then we're the Borg, right? Right. right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Assimilated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But the fact is, is to move more collectivistic. Right. right to move collectivistic move to enough, well, or to get to right. a place of of, of a just marriage. Right, right. That again, we've got that marriage, right, right. of mm-hmm. the individual and the collective. The best right. of both worlds. Again, yes. that right. is yeah. the, the, those two things are in negotiation and in harmony. And it's like two DNA strands. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like yeah. spiraling through. Yeah. So that's kind of where I ground my analysis. There's been great work done by um, uh, uh, Elizabeth Martinez and Sharon Martinez, also on white supremacy. Really great, amazing a- academic work. But I found that the Okun analysis is really the most user friendly. Um, so every time I go and do stuff, including when we start organizations, including when we do assessments. Um, both of individuals and organizations, and when I do my self-assessment. Um, so one of the things that shows up very early on this list of um, of 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 um, mm, aspects of identity of of white supremacy culture is sense of urgency. Like this culture is profoundly time bound. We measure mm. in, um, and there's a great little video mm. that speaks a little bit to that, and it's called The Secret Powers of Time, and it's by RSA Animate. Um, it's not exactly, it doesn't exactly talk about the different time orientations. There's cultures that have much longer time orientation. For instance, indigenous cultures here mm-hmm. in, in America tend to have a that much longer. idea of seven longer, generations ahead. Seven, seven, genera- seven generations thinking, behind. Right? Okay. And then, whereas we are, and this has to do with in, industrialism too, mm-hmm. right. right? Like in the industrial yeah. age, the trains need to run on time and the things need to be kicked out and you need to punch the clock on time. And if you're late, there's punishment for that, Right. right? 
But we are so time bound and measuring time in such tiny little increments that like if we're showing up five minutes late for a meeting, it's like like a, like you will lose the sale, right? Right. (laughs) You will lose the sale. My husband lives in that world, right? So I I thankfully do not. Um, (laughs) I have never been in short term time orientation ever in my life. And if we just think about time orientation for a second, right? Like there's a lot of people used to call it CP time. And some people still do call it CP time, color people time. Right? Oh, really? They late for everything, right? <laughs> A lot of people in these areas and in the Northeast used to call it engine time. Engine time. They late for everything, right? Um, and then... Well, so and different if, cultures have different amounts of late. So I'm Southerner, right? Yeah. right? And I tend to run about 15 minutes behind on stuff. Yeah. And it was funny because the, the university in Holland... They call it the academic quarter. So if you have a class that starts at 9 o'clock, no one will be there until 9.15. Like, not even the teacher, right? So it's pretty awesome. And then, um, and like on Monday mornings, nothing opens until like 1 p.m. on Mondays. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, yeah, nobody likes nice. Monday mornings. The Dutch just don't do it, right? So, um, and it's really funny because they're, they're very time-bound, right? right? So that Northern European... Like, I had people leave after waiting. They smoked one cigarette to wait for me on a Friday night. Yep. Right? This is friends meeting on a Friday night. They smoked one cigarette and left when I wasn't there. And I sat and waited for them for two and a half hours because, right? Like, it's like, okay, business is one thing. Southern time is not New York City time. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So I'm working on Southern time, right? And then there's different, some people are 20 minutes late. Some people Mm -hmm. are three, three, 30 minutes late. Um, I mean, I've been to weddings where the bride and groom were two and a half hours late. Oh right. my gosh. So like, yeah. <laughs> and here and here in the Southwest, right? We call yeah. that Mexican time. Right? If we think about it, if we think it's about it, we're always at somebody culture. else's time and bizarrely in this culture, like we we are the I think the Japanese are the only culture that is more time bound than we are. Um, I would believe that. The, and that yeah, has that to do with industrialization right. as well, right? Right. right. But um, the fact is, is if we and keep on pointing, it's like everybody else's time. You know, the yeah. Indonesians are like, like, you're lucky if they show up at all, right? right. Because Three days later. They, they yeah. don't live in that world. Mm-hmm. So if we really, really look at it and we look at how we other other people about, right. like, right? And this is why it's white dominance, right? We, they're the ones who are late. They're the ones who are late. They're the ones who are early. Who are not conforming. Talk to me about how rude it is to be early. Talk to me about how rude it is to be early. So that's why I'm no longer like early to things is because I found that when I was, um, I had a job where I managed some people and we would do, I would do job interviews and like I'm, if there are interviews at 1030, like I'm expecting them to show up at 1030. And so then when they would show up at like 1015, I'd be like, great. Now I didn't get to finish that thing that I was going to have done before the interview. And, and, or when you're doing a party and you're like rushing to get everything totally out. you can show up in my early. house what? i'm getting in the shower right <laughs> and you show up on time like, you're gonna be doing dishes because yeah. i'm in the shower if like, I that's how that works. Today, yeah. i was always having to wait for everyone else to show up and for the thing to start mm-hmm. late which it always did for all the people who got there late mm-hmm. right right and then i was all and then also inconveniencing the people who really were, putting were already on. running right. behind anyway so finally i was like why am I trying so hard to be on time I'm just right. I'll yeah. try to be on time and so, then if I'm a few minutes late oh well right and yeah, you know no, what totally. this is a, this is actually a really great um, way to talk about like so when we 
when, when we look at this analysis and we see sense of urgency and, ah, we're so time-bound and we should maybe not be so time-bound, and right? Um, the point is a lot of us do have limited time, right? I have limited time today. We all have limited time today. Um, I have to be somewhere else, you know? Um, I also don't want to dishonor your time. Right. right. Hmm. So the point is not to like go all the way into the other extreme, <laughs> not go all the way into collectivism, not I'll go all the way into like sloppyism. Right. <laughs> you know, like we're rooted in perfectionism. You don't have to get all sloppy. Right. Um, but it is to understand that when we are part of a group, any group, right, whether it is a marriage, whether it is a small community, whether it is a large community, these things need to be negotiated and not accepted as fact, just because because that is what the dominant culture has said. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to, you know, that we can show up at work late, right? It means being willing to revisit and say, wait, why is this rule the way it is? And is there some flexibility there? And that is there, you know, like it could be that, and I mean, this is a a constant. It was a a thing today, right? My husband lives in that world, right? And we eat in that world, right? (laughs) By that world, we eat. And that needs to be, that is a real thing for us. And it's very stressful when we're running late. And there is no time that I am not running late, right? Like, we were supposed to start this at 3. Let's just be clear. Okay? Right? Um, so, but, but it is a constant negotiation. And then it is a conversation where, you know, that stresses him out. It doesn't matter if he knows it's going to happen. It stresses him out. And then we need to negotiate that. You know, I need to apologize if I was honestly sloppy about running behind you know, and, and he needs to like rent it in. He needs to realize that this is like, it isn't a job interview and it isn't a sale. And like, we can be five minutes late to a vigil, right? Because there are other people going to be 10 right. minutes late. Right. Yeah. But, but the fact is we have to have that conversation right. and we need to negotiate in the groups that we're in, uh, renegotiate things that we have long taken for granted, right? Including the idea of perfectionism, including, um, I don't know. I have to, I have to think, um, yeah, like t- the time orientation is a big, big, huge thing. So now when I talk about this time orientation, I talk about it as white people time, right? Because mm-hmm. we need to identify that it is white people time. It is white people right. you know, time. Right? Like in this country, a lot of people, one of the, the things that I often have trouble with when I enter into conversation with people around racial justice issues, right? They're like, well, you know, the the, you know, Egyptians had slaves and, you know, so-and-so had slaves and this and that and the other thing. I said, yeah, but like, number one, we ain't there. And number two, we need to talk about our context here and now, right? right? Like we can talk about the Japanese when we are in Japan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or when we have relationships with Japanese people and they are very time bound and we are not so time bound anymore, right. right? Then we have to negotiate that too. We have to honor that reality as well but the fact is we are not talking about over there this is our problem we keep wanting to talk about over there right i mean well, this is how and like, i think a lot of times too that comes from a place of not wanting to change right and using something out there as a justification because you can yes. find yeah. anything to justify people what it is that you're people gonna everywhere do. Right, right yeah right. someone right. at whatever it is you want to defend there's someone out there right. who's done it or is doing it that you can point to and say they're doing it yeah, right. <laughs> you totally. know 
<laughs> and there was a little meme that was passing around on Facebook this week that uh, had a guy from a pulpit saying, who wants change? And everybody raised their hand. And then it says, who wants to change? <laughs> and everybody did down like this, right? So, like, and I think this is, again, uh, one of the sort of, like, silver linings or blessings that's coming out of this time. I think we finally got into a space where there are very few people that don't want change right now. Yeah. I think everybody right. has come to a space where we recognize this is not livable. This is not sustainable. Right. This is not what in I want to give way. to in those. Every that, way. Right. This is not what I want to give to those that are coming after. Yeah. yeah. Right. We have to really have that sense of uh, honor and responsibility towards those that were that are inheriting what we're building now. Yes. And I think everybody has gotten to a space where they recognize this. We don't want to be here anymore. So and to honor those who came before, right? Yes. To honor those who we're came always before. in that space, and that's another time orientation, right? right? Like yeah. recognizing there are those that came before that mm-hmm. have laid things down and done a lot of work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I taught women's studies, right, that was it was really fascinating to see because I would have like women's studies history classes as well as just my English one hundred and one classes, mm-hmm. right? And during a election cycles my i would give group, i would give extra credit for people that registered to vote and i would give more extra credit for people that went and voted i don't care how you vote i just want you in the process right. right i want you participating i want you awake and seeing what's happening here and so it was really interesting to see how the students in my women's history class like 75% of those students went and got registered to vote because we were talking about those that had gone before, right? right? We had seen the struggles they went through, the sacrifices right. they made. And if we honor that, right. then we don't take this so lightly. And so it's if we're in that sort of space of... Um, and some, some ancient cultures saw that as the cross, right? It was a sort of like... Those that came after those that are coming, right, yeah. right. Um, that yeah. you're, we're in that intersection of I, those yes. two paradigms. And I remember right. as a kid, um, you know, thinking, "Oh, I can't wait till I get to vote." You know, that's like what adults <laughs> get to do and citizens. And and of course, I was learning in school about American history and you know all this kind of stuff. So so uh, and, and then you know and then I get to be an adult and people are like, "Ah." your vote doesn't matter and you know all this kind of stuff right. i don't vote you know <laughs> and i was just cynical. like wait what you yeah. know like, and we've talked about that here too <laughs> like i personally am like you know what i don't play the numbers game right and yeah. voting is my manifestation of my intention for the country right and mm-hmm. i i don't vote against because that's giving energetic power to the person that i don't want there so yeah. um but but i think this is one of the blessings is that everyone's at a space where we all agree this is not this sustainable is, this is and crappy. this is not what we want. <laughs> right. And we have different ideas about how to shift into where we want it to go, but we all agree that it's not okay the way it is. And the thing is, if we see that it's not okay the way it is, we are not going to change it if we're pointing to some other place, some other culture, right. some other time, right. and saying those guys did it this way, yeah. right? And and as a means to or it's their shuck fault. off our own accountability. Yeah. Right. If we're looking at those spaces to find solutions for now... That's different. But if we're looking at those spaces to find justification for staying the same, mm-hmm. then that means we stay the same. Right. right. And it's interesting because defensiveness was another one of these. That's a that's a huge one. And and that's one that, you know, I'm I'm actually pretty good about that. And let's just you know, a lot of people 
I just want to backtrack for one second. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, ah, it's terrible. What can I do? You know, um, and we're going to be talking about that, I think, a little bit more. I think maybe, our next segment maybe, is like, in our next segment is like, what can you do? We'll wrap this one um, up pretty soon. But, really but one of the things is, you know, like I, I go back to certain spiritual texts that have essentially nothing to do with justice, right? But the Four Agreements is one of them. Yes. And one of the things the Four Agreements says is, you know, don't take anything personally. Yes. Right? And... And it's so interesting how that intersects with um, trying to dismantle defensiveness, mm. both within myself and, def- you know, like trying to de-escalate defensiveness in somebody else. Right. Right. Um, there are some people, you know, you can say the sky is blue and they're like, well, you know, you know? <laughs> you're so like, well, I just observed Woo! the sky was yeah. blue. The Dutch right? would say they have very <laughs> yeah. long toes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's, that is, yeah. um, so... So one of the ways that so Temo Kuhn wrote this initially for organizations, but I've I've learned that it's a really really good tool to look in the mirror. You know, when we're talking about right. how do we change ourselves, um, and defensiveness is a big huge it's one. Huge. It's pretty high on that list. Um, it's easy, you know. I, I don't take a lot personally anyway. I, either I, I think there's there's parts of me that that's in my DNA where I just don't see it as personal. You know, that is that's. You don't like the color blue. I, you know, I can't help yeah. you. <laughs> like it has nothing to do with me. Um, so I don't take certain things personally. But then there are some people, you know, who actually attack me, right? And they're like, "You, all right?" Well, of course I want to be defensive. Of course I want to be like, "Well, you know, let me tell you that I." Blah, 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 right? Well, you that's know? just a natural response. <laughs> you know? When someone attacks you, right? That's a natural response. To but if we defend. are to dismantle this culture, yes. Mm-hmm. If we are to dismantle it. Defensiveness is a component, and sometimes it's unreasonable defensiveness. But mm-hmm. the truth is, the moment I think that I have something to defend, right, right, you and I are at war, right, oh, right, right. Yeah. That is so key, isn't right? It? Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think we can all, if we all just like let that sink in for a yeah. moment, right? right? The minute we think we have something to defend, we've right. gone into war. The war starts here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I love what you were, you were reading something before we started recording and it was, um, it, and there was something along the lines of when you are grounded in truth and in right. faith, you don't need to defend because that's your rock, right? Right. You're on your rock and no one can push you off of it. So you don't have to be in defensive mode because... They because, can't push you off. Yeah, right. no, like it's, a sign, it's a sign of insecurity. My analysis yeah. is my analysis, and we might be in dialogue about that, and I might be having an like. I mean, I'm sitting with two people here where <laughs> I the amount of dialogue I've had with them. You know, where where we, I think, are. I'm blessed, especially with Shaquille, to have a relationship where there's there is we have a relationship that we love and trust each other so much that we can challenge each other on things. And she challenges me. She's like, ah, you know, you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it wrong, right? Um, or she doesn't say that. She says it better. I challenge you to move she, from this perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you're just yeah. like... Look over here. I think, think, yeah. Yeah. I think your inner child has a, has a, has a white supremacy I hear, problem. Right, I hear an inner, <laughs> a wounded inner child there. You, you know, might want to go take care of them. You know, yeah. but the fact is, is like my, my perspective has shifted and I have like I take I take her advice seriously and I take her thoughts seriously and yes my analysis changes over time and my perspective changes over time mm-hmm. right but we can have those conversations but the fact is is that at the moment that we enter that dialogue like I am really really I, I'm a pretty deep thinker um, which is a blessing
blessing and a privilege, right? And a curse. But I am pretty... <laughs> it's a double-edged yeah, sword. Yeah, sometimes I spend a lot being, of time... Being one that has too that Too much time myself. thinking, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but but I am, I am, like, pretty... I'm pretty comfortable in, in where I am about things. It's not, I haven't, I'm, I I don't usually come to things from an ignorant place, right? Like, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where I am. So even if she challenges me, that doesn't bring up defensiveness, right? Like that is, I'm, I'm good where I am. But if it does bring up defensiveness, I think it's my job. It's my job to figure out why. What what is this? What is this triggering in me? And it could be, you know, some kind of weird valid thing. I could actually be emotionally triggered from some trauma in the past, which does happen. Right? But I have to note that that this is and that's where I go. And I'm like, okay, defensiveness is Defensiveness is showing up in me. That is not going to help culture. It's not going to help our relationship. It's not going to help my relationship with the world. It's not going to help my sense of happiness yeah. and, you know, right? And it's so what do, way of what do I being do? able to change. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think if we can move to that space of, first of all, raising our awareness and recognizing that the defensiveness is is a is a not, sign of something right that yeah. it's not like well of course i would be you know like <laughs> um you know like oh wow to 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 get curious mm-hmm. yes and like yes i recently holy curiosity they oh say. god yeah. oh that's holy so tasty curiosity. Yes. holy like curiosity that. batman oh. i love it <laughs> which which if you don't root it in defensiveness where it's like well why did you say that right right like if it's, you, like, if it's if not you say, actually curiosity so, so i'd be curious like where where I, did that like where did the, what is it you're seeing yeah. that makes you say that right, right? or even to ourselves like right. like wow gosh I got really defensive there what's yeah. going on yeah and like take yeah. that's your I, because I found recently so I realized when I realized that oh that's a sign when I'm getting upset or or mm-hmm. defensive that that's a sign that I one of two things is going on with me either. There's something buried there, yes. right. some hurt or something that I need to explore and figure out what's going on and clear it out. Or it's a sign that I haven't clearly set boundaries with people mm, and they've, they've crossed some boundary and I'm upset about that. And so then I have to ask myself, did I, first of all, did I communicate that that boundary was there or did I have an assumption? Yes. Right. Ooh, or, assumption, assumption, right. assumption. We're like the or next it, section or did is they all really, assumptions. Did they really like cross a boundary that I had and now I just need to remind them hey remember yep. we agreed yep. you know right. to this and so I found that really helpful is to no longer see you know getting upset or getting defensive as that there's something wrong per se but more that there's something there to explore and, and the thing is like on. if we recognize that racism and white supremacy culture are operating on unquestioned biases or unknown biases mm-hmm. then our defensiveness becomes a friend because it shows us where to dig right right yes. so if we're if we're seeing that okay i'm not going to use this defensiveness to now start war with someone else I'm right. going to use this it's like defense. a flag, right? right. This Woo! is like my mind, my mind sweeper, right? right? So it's going to go and like find out, okay, what's underneath the surface here, and how do I diffuse this, right? Yeah. Um, rather than protecting that, so that yeah. <laughs> so this just brought up something like totally like woo 
intersectionality, right? <laughs> that um, happens a lot on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, they're all they're all connected. Um, so it's interesting because one of the other things, and I think we named this earlier, was you know perfectionism, right? Um, and I'm like I said, I'm I'm not naturally defensive. It really takes a lot to get me there. But the places where I will get defensive, right, um, have to do with um, with with you know looking bad. Or not so much me looking bad, because, like, if I'm showing up bad, then I'm looking bad, and that's just real. But, like, other people who are looking bad, you know, around whom there are some expectations and with whom I have some... Like, for instance, like, organizations I work with, like Allies for Racial Equity, right? Like, if we don't maybe show up the way we ought to show up, right? I start getting kind of, like, really defensive, which I think intersects with perfectionism. Yeah. Like, where we ought to be showing up in just this way, and we ought to be doing this, and we ought to be doing that, and there should be a, a solidarity statement And I think whatever. this is something that paralyzes right? progressives in general. Exactly. Yeah. So and and what and so like, this is how perfectionism in. and defensiveness intertwine, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, then I get frustrated and angry, and there's a lot of energy around that and all of this stuff. And then and, judging me, Judgerson comes right, out. And then, yep, yep, <laughs> exactly. So again, like these are flags, right? Like why am I? Why is it so important to me that? Alice for Racial Equity or my other spiritual community or other, right? Why is it so important to me that we look good? Mm. Mm. Why? You know, why is that? Right? Like, I'm, I can only do what I can do. People can only do what they can do. Why is it so important to me that we look good? Why is it so important to me? Right? So that's a really good, I love how you, how you said, you know, sometimes, the, you know, and, and I love how that, that pulls us out of the binary, which is another thing. It's a binary thinking is an aspect of this culture, right? It's all either or, either, either or, or, either or, system. right? And and I sit in an either or paradi- paradigm with that analysis. I'm like, oh, defensiveness, bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ah, oh, you See, we are can, defensive. But right. I think we, but we can do the do. alchemy on defensiveness right. and say defensiveness is now my friend because you it know? lets me know where to dig. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and that is like to look at these things to, and that really, that's that's going to bring, you know, I, I want to thank you for that because that's going to bring some, a, a new, a new way of looking at things into my training when I do, because I train grounded in this analysis and I train to, I train out of this analysis and back to it. Right. And, and if I can say to people, like, if you're feeling defensive, like then there's actually, that's like, woo, you got work to do. Yeah. And like, it's telling you, and you don't have to like be a, ignorant of that for another six months right <laughs> like right. you see yeah. it now um so that that really is an opportunity to examine right okay. like awesome. so so i want us so. to like close this segment out because we've mm-hmm. like done double time in this section and the next segment i think coming back and talking about being in discussion um would probably be a mm-hmm. good place to do with that All right, segment two. Um, so now we're gonna uh, now we're gonna talk a little bit more about um, going into discussion um, because I think um, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with Sarah is that uh, she's like, okay, sounds really nice. How do I apply this to my daily life? So. Um, uh, so I thought, like, talking about how we enter into discussion with people is going to be mm-hmm. a way, like, oh, yeah. this is, uh, not only do we need to enter into discussion with one another, and we're terrified about that, and that's something that Brene Brown has talked a lot about in her work on shame and vulnerability, is that for us to really heal the wounds that we have in this country, we are going to have to talk about race, and if we're going to talk about race, then we're going to be dealing with a lot of shame. Right. Yeah. Um, and how that operates in places. So, uh, so sort of 
um, keeping hearts courageous and, and soft in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted us to talk about talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and I'm, so, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I had an experience when, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement first sort of became prominent, you know, several months ago and people were talking about stuff on Facebook and and I know one of the um, the, the arguments sort of against white privilege or white supremacy, whatever, was that, you know, oh, white people don't talk about race, you know? And uh, and so I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, well, the reason we don't talk about race is because it's a loaded subject, you know? It's it's very hard, you know? It's like walking through a landmine. So and we I'm don't like, talk about being white. The only people talking about being white are these really scary... Right. So which right. also needs to happen. But yeah, go yeah, ahead. So so I was like, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn over a new leaf since people are saying it's okay for us to talk about this. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. And so I started, you know, posting some responses on Facebook. And I just had this horrible experience where someone misinterpreted what I said and thought that I actually meant the opposite. Because <laughs> I was saying that, um, you know, yeah, that why there are so many, you know, black people who are incarcerated, like disproportionately. And, and I meant it as like, that's terrible, you know, and clearly that's happening. And she read it as um, I was saying that they're incarcerated because they're because more they're black criminal. people are doing they're more, criminals, they're right, right. They're more yeah. criminals. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's not what I meant at all. And she like blasted me on Facebook and just, I was like, Oh, this is horrible. Like, this is why, this is why we don't do this. Right. This is why I don't want to talk about it. And so, so yeah. So give yeah. me your advice. And, well, I think, all and I think right too, now. there was a really great article <laughs> that went around um, and kind of touching on the last segment when you're mm-hmm. saying one of those spaces for you is looking good. Right. Um, there was a really, good article that was talking about really challenging white folk to examine wanting to look like a good white person. Good white person, yeah. And how that how that jacks up these conversations. Um, It was a really good article. It was really challenging. Right? Like both both me wanting to look like a good white person, the impulse to do that, and also me criticizing other people for like oh you just you know you're just self you're centering yourself, you're making yourself look good. And we're again othering in that space. Like when we start doing that we start moving again into that us versus them. We just found a new us versus yep. them. And so... Um, I am a and, better anti-racist than you. Right. <laughs> I, I, Clearly. I, well, I'm even better than you because I am for racial equity and not just anti-racism. But yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> no, seriously. And so, so one of the things that she suggested was talking uh, honestly and being honest with ourselves about our racial moments. Right. right. When we mm-hmm. have, when we catch ourselves in racism yeah. and, um, and one of the, I know one of the first like, holy crap moments because, you know, I was raised in the South and, um, the high school that I went to was fantastic. We had this really amazing, diverse group of people. And so I was certainly one of the people that said, well, I have black friends. So, you know, right. <laughs> um, and some of my closest friends were black friends. So I really felt justified in that. What I learned later through my experience of wearing hijab was that I had very patient black friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> actually. Uh, so I have black friends. do we all. Right, exactly. So, that, you know, I think we need to kind of take a look at that too, right? We have very patient forgiving, loving black friends. I think yes. if we put that in that, you know, right. then we can, that's a little more real view of what's right. going on. But, um, oh but one of those moments where I had my first, like, holy crap, that's seriously racist. I still remember mm-hmm. that too. My first moment of going, oh, 
I just had a total racist thought, you know, like, totally was when Miles was little and uh, my husband and I were talking about, you know, what he's going to be like when he grows up to be a man and blah, blah, blah. And we started, we realized that uh, we didn't have a problem with him marrying like any number of different kinds of people. Except blacks. And our reason was, well, it's just going to be so hard for the children. Yep. Mm. And then we were like, well, why is it hard for the children? Well, because Mm. people like us say crap like that. Right. Right. And so, like, I mean, and and that whole revelation took, like, two weeks, right? This was this, we were having a conversation. We're like, something's not right here. I don't. Like, okay, yes. And we had our, like, rational arguments about mm-hmm. why that was okay and true and not racist and um, and grounded in loving compassion and all these <laughs> other kind of things that we wanted to believe about ourselves. But it, and it, that unfolding took a couple of weeks of realizing yeah. the reason the kids would have a problem is because we have these kind of attitudes, right? right? And I think, for me, that was my, that was my invitation to really start digging a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, and catching myself in those spaces, right? Yeah. Like, of, of recognizing with different groups like how those stereotypes get built like once I had an idea about people then things started happening around me that strengthened that idea and it was amazing even when I was aware that it was happening Right, that it was still happening, happening. and I'm like, no, I no, I'm not buying into this. But like, so it was amazing for me to see how I'm creating my own world. Right. Mm-hmm. Because these beliefs that I had were manifesting themselves in my world. And I had to really claw and fight to not get totally taken under by it. Right. So um, but I think being honest about those racist moments when we catch ourselves yeah. in that, I think that's a big part of breaking down the othering. Right. Um, that will set ourselves so again, up. Again, it's do. like a look in the mirror tactic, right? It's yes. like it's like recognizing yeah. that, and and I think that that can actually lead us to. Um, and I think I want to talk about this like a little bit later because I think we can go really deep into this. But I think that could really lead us into a place of compassion, right? right. Like when we when we start really when we when we start honestly self educating, self educating, self educating, and our analysis gets more and more sophisticated and, and we, we yes. really 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 realize that you know this is this was driven into us. This is enforced in us every single day. And right. don't think that you're like escaping it because you're watching yeah. Um, CNN or listening to NPR, right. like, well, I, I sit here and I take apart news stories and I'm like, okay, so that the argument of the interviewer is grounded in white supremacy thinking, right? right? Like he's interviewing people about racial justice and then he's like, yeah, but doesn't this make people uncomfortable? And how can we talk about it to not make people uncomfortable? You know what? Talking about you race can't. is going to be bloody uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, and right. we need to yeah. stop sitting in our, again, an aspect of white supremacy culture is a right to comfort. Right. An aspect mm. of white, white supremacy culture is a fear of open conflict, mm. right? We we do not like, and it's interesting because I have I have mm. known and very been very very close with certain cultures that don't have that fear of open conflict. I had some friends who were Greek. I had some friends who were Italian. You can have conflict, like, and then it's over, right? right? Afterwards, like, and the fact is yeah. that there's a lot of opportunity in conflict. There's a lot. Yeah, there um, is. It's, it's almost and I like see a that conflict is that red flag when you have more than one person 
person in the room, right? Like if, yeah. if it's couples like, oh, that are scared of right. conflict are going to have massive issues, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. so and so to uh, to to uproot it, we need to learn to get like okay, if 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 right to comfort is ingrained in me, as essentially as as in the lineage of the colonizers, right? I am not. I do not come from that um, hereditarily. I'm actually a first generation immigrant in this country, but the fact is that I, my entire life is built on the heredity of the colonizers, right? That I, it was, um, Tim Weiss put it really greatly. I, I love Tim. If you haven't oh, watched Tim Weiss, Tim, Weiss, Tim Weiss, just like go and sit with his website for like a week. Um, it's amazing. So it's W I S E and he's, I think at timwise.org. Um, or .com, whatever. Yeah, we'll but, have all this in the show notes on the website. Yeah. Yeah. One, of, one of the great things he says is, like, you know, the whole aspiration of the time of, you know, slavery and when, when the idea of whiteness even became an idea, right? Like, because race is not actually, there's no biological factor for race. Like, that right. is a socially constructed idea. We constructed that idea to make sure that the little people who were starting to organize and being like, well, you know, this is kind of like we're either enslaved or were in servitude or whatever else and they had all the you know these commonalities and they thought maybe not so much and in order to to quell essentially a brewing rebellion we got the idea of race together and then we're like oh yeah you know like you may have a shitty ass life but at least you ain't black right but the whole aspiration at the time and the reason for slavery as an economic reality was the aspiration was to be a man of leisure mm-hmm. to be a man who doesn't have to work. Play, you know, croquet, right? right? And doesn't have to work. And that is our heredity. You know, that's, that is hereditary for us, our right to comfort, to have a comfortable life, to feel safe and secure. And I mean, there's a lot to be said about feeling safe and secure. Right. Right. But the truth is, is that is like what that is. It's it's almost like this, this gut impetus that we are told all the time is correct. You know, right. and we that is done to us by a capitalistic society, right? It's like that you should you should be really comfortable, and you should have a TV in every room, and you should whatever. Like your comfort is is tied to capitalism, right? right. It's not tied to good relationships. So I want right? to challenge that a little bit too, mm-hmm. because I I I wonder whether that I mean I I, I totally get it, mm-hmm. and I think emotional uncomfortability, mm-hmm. right? Um, is really important. It, it is gro- There is no growth right. without it. Right. right. Exactly. Right? Like, and you can look over and over again in nature. If you're looking at crustaceans, for example, like they get really cramped, stressful, and itchy right. before <laughs> they shed their yep. um, before they shed their shell and, and grow. So, emotional uncomfortability is essential for growth. Um, but I think this idea that comfort in and of itself is bad also works in that antagonistic relationship we have with our bodies. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we... I'm not saying comfort is bad. Okay, because I've... I'm saying our idea that we have a right to it. Okay. Right? Like, I'm not saying uh, don't aspire. Well, like, who wants to be uncomfortable all the time? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like, but the fact is that we have a right to it. Right? As colonizers, we are... Right? And one of the things that they, they do in all racial justice training is like when you like number one, if you are comfortable in a space, understand that someone else is not mm. right. Mm. And you might want to think about who that might be. And then if you think about if you are uncomfortable in a space, right, maybe someone else is and you want to think about who that might be. And that's when you talk about like power mapping and power mm. analysis and yeah. all of that is like if your discomfort 
gives rise to the comfort of people who are historically marginalized and historically oppressed than like wallow in the bloody discomfort because you have just done something, right? right? If you if your discomfort is um, then make someone who is historic is an, an oppressor or a person who is already in power like is making them more comfortable, then you have to switch that up. Right. right. Then, then you have to be like fortifying. Okay, system. we're not we're not going to be uncomfortable now. <laughs> right. Know? Like right. And you have to think about that in in the sense of power. And I think we're probably not even going to have any opportunity to get too much into power. And maybe we shall have another session. <laughs> um, but like we have touched on power it, over it and power come, yeah. yeah, it all comes down to power dynamics. Yeah. And and the truth is, and what I love about using an analysis when we talk about race and we talk about class and we talk about all these things, the truth is is that an analysis, uh, essentially a feminist analysis um, of white supremacy culture, is at the root of all of those things. So we do not need to be talking about race, and we do not need to be talking about homophobia to talk about something else. And if we go into this analysis and recognize that it's a, this is all about power. Right, it has always been about and power. I want to it's qualify that it's power, power over, right? right. So that's something we've talked a lot about on the on the podcast right. is this differentiation between power over and power with, right. and um, and because we think the word power, we immediately equate it's, it with power yep. over. Yep. Right. We're always looking for power over and domination, um, and then we step back from it. But it's actually when we're not when we're not stepping fully into our power with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we tend to go into power over, right? Right. If we're not stepping into our full, because um, we have power, a need to feel mm-hmm. that we're in power, and so right. if we're not feeling in power with and and from within, right. then we're going to look for that. Right. Power then, to we take that power to, then we seek. Then we seek to dominate someone else. Right. So, and power yeah. hoarding is another aspect of white supremacy culture, Absolutely. right? Like it's the hoarding right. of power, where we we feel, and that goes into the whole quantity over quality. Like we 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 understand things we can measure or value things we can measure more than things that we can't measure, right? Mm. Um, so Absolutely. so then we well, then we think about power, and we we think about power as this finite. Much as some people think about love as this finite thing, it's like you have X amount of hours in the day to give X amount of love, and if I'm not getting them for six hours a day, you know, I don't like that's not you're giving it to too many other people, right? Mm. But power, much like love, and and there's a huge intersectionality between power and love, right? Yeah, like power is essentially infinite, right? And power actually grows when you share it, yeah, right? And so that's that's another way to counter that. When you when you're starting to feel defensive or, or you're you're feeling disempowered, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's very very valid that someone is coming here and taking your power out. Yeah. And sometimes it's just that you're losing your privilege and you have less power in a situation. I think that's really right? important. Hmm. But no matter what, no matter what, like I try and put myself in the position where I'm like, okay, I am just going to push this power out, like. Like let's sh- let's share, let's share, let's share. Mm-hmm. Think about the empowerment of others. Obviously, I would not want to empower my oppressor, but the fact is. But if want, you if you, know, you are pull- so oppressors work from a space of insecurity. This is right. my understanding, my observation, and my belief. Right? right. So if they weren't insecure, they would not feel the need to dominate other people. Right. So right. so if if 
if my oppressor is now in their true power as opposed to acting out of power with, mm-hmm. then then it goes from a from a from a pyramid or a hierarchy into a web. Right. Right? Right. And then then the energy's gonna flow a lot better and webs are much more sustainable, right? right. So um, so it's really interesting because like Marianne Williamson, um, there's a really fantastic interview that she does with Oprah. Um, and so if you like Googled um, divine manifestation forgiveness, Marianne Williamson, Oprah, then it should pop up. It was a Soul Sunday interview. Um, and uh, gosh, now I forgot what I was saying because I had to give that little <laughs> context. Um, Power over oppressors web. She talks about, um, they opened the interview with Oprah asking her about, there was someone that Oprah was having like some amazing major issues with because this person had really betrayed her and hurt her. Mm-hmm. And she went to Marianne crying like this person did this terrible thing to me. And Marianne said, I want you to, I want you to pray for them. And she's like, "Why should I pray for them?" You know, and um, and I hell no, uh, right? And I got challenged with this with something that happened at me at the um, at like a, uh, a, a dan- the dances for Universal Peace mm-hmm. last week when I went. So um, you know, I went to like get rid of all the stuff that had happened in the week, and then ended up being like in this yucky place again. And so um, spending some time like lifting up and praying for that person that had said those nasty things there, right? Like that was Mm -hmm. a space I did not expect to run into. Well, they're so-called problems right now. Right. Right. Um, like, so, uh, someone saying something like that in that space is not what I expected. And so like this idea that, um, being able to hold the oppressors in a, in a spiritual space of, like if you can come into true power as opposed to this false power that manifests as power over right right then it's going to be different does that make sense yeah. i i i agree and I, like i'm already thinking that maybe we need to just do this once a day um because <laughs> there there are like three conversations off the top of my head that i'd be really really interested in getting into um so I just like we have to kind of be superficial now, yeah, right? Because no, totally, like, yeah. totally, totally. this is like I mean, a whole a lot, new thing, right? Yeah, no, um, I mean, there's I can see so like I, I I believe I believe that in spiritual principle I really do, um, and I think that I think that that is that is a place that that I would I personally aspire to, and I would like to see others aspire to. Um, I also have learned a whole lot in in very very specific situations about th- there are there are certain people and certain systems of oppression right with which that will never work. Well, and I'm not right. saying not have boundaries with those people. Right. I'm not no, saying no, no, I'm not with saying terrible that. behavior. Right. I'm not. Saying I'm not that. saying any of those things. But right. There, yeah. there right. are people, and 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 like, and and now we're getting, I think, into a little bit the psychological. Like there are people, like with, let's say, narcissistic personality disorder, or people who are, let's say, have antisocial personality disorder, whatever. Um, or, or some people on the autism spectrum, and I, I am on the autism spectrum, and there's certain ways, like my brain does not work, and there's certain ways my brain works really awesome and in ways that others don't, right? But the fact is there, there can be people with whom, like who, with, with whom that actually doesn't work. Right. Like it really doesn't work, and then you, you actually kind of open 
like if, if you and, and, and I actually I have some experience around this where I, tr- I am I am a rabid power sharer. I'm like I'm like, yes, everyone have power. Right. And 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 in certain situations that is profoundly empowering both for me and for others. And then we build this whole new thing and it's just like it's like we're like, wow, and that doesn't add up with the math. And that's just awesome. <laughs> you know, um, and then there are certain situations where we're actually to the, the, a, a person who, who, who just doesn't live in that world right. as, as sometimes an autistic person doesn't right. live in that world, um, yeah. uh, D- will will actually do more damage. And, okay, you know, and that's yeah. kind of touching on what we right. talked about in our last episode with predators. Right. If you're if you're dealing with a predatory energy, right, right. Um, then you do not feed predatory energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, so again, I'm I'm stressing this does not mean I don't put my boundaries down. It doesn't mean I need right. to engage with this person. Right. But in the space of my own. In the space of my yeah. own individual work, that I resist the us and them with them right. as well, and recognize like, okay, well, where are they reflecting? Some, where is the predatory energy moving in me? Right. And how can I seek to? And and the one thing one thing I would say where I, I, I am pretty much, and I'm I'm a very much a non-absolutist, right? But there's certain things that kind of like stay with me. Um, one thing I would not do, and, and I have learned sometimes very much the hard way is actually be in opposition is like, in, in, in like go deeper into the us where it says them and be like, Oh, that person is predatory. That person is dangerous or whatever. You must be destroyed. Right. Because then all Playing of a sudden, by their rules, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, so then, then you're actually moving on. And this is one of the reasons, you know, like we have this whole big movement around say their name, say her name, right. Whatever. And I think there's a power in naming and there's a power in saying people's names. And I think that power runs both ways. So there's people's names who I will not even say, right? Because I don't want to direct any energy toward them, right? Um, and not negative energy. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be like, how do I take that person down, right? Right. Like, so I, I think that's what while, I, while I would yeah. not share power with certain people, I would also not send any energy their way. Let's say in the negative. Does that make sense? No, totally. You know? No, and I think this is that's what I'm uh, trying to get at with these mm-hmm. like inadequate tools that we have called words. Yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> so limiting. So that's what I'm trying to kind of get at too. Is this like getting out of the space of um, of feeding that predatory energy, right? Via the oh well, I'm going to put you on us versus them thing or whatever. Right. But um, uh, recognizing, and it doesn't mean that we're not standing up to that also mm-hmm. right again that's like not being afraid of the conflict not being not being right. afraid of being uncomfortable um but if i am if i am standing up and doing confrontation from a space of okay i recognize who you are and i'm going to name this is a predatory right. act right? right um and I actually did that to someone this week it was like i just want you to know what you're doing right now is predatory mm-hmm Right. I know you don't mean it that way, but this is what yep. it is. Right. And oppression's oppression. Right. right. And so when I, but when I see the humanity behind and someone um, at the event that Calvin had on Friday night talked about the horseman metaphor. So it was this idea of, uh, you have the horseman on the horse. And so the horse is sort of like that ego energy, right. That mm-hmm. lower energy that, um, and when you're when you're looking at the sort of horseman horseman horse metaphor for that idea of the marriage between spirit and material or lower self and higher self like it's couched in different language and different traditions um but the horseman should always talk to the other horsemen right so the higher self is talking to the other higher self right and it shouldn't be that talking you know, to the horse 
Right. Don't to talk the to the horse. horse. Talk to the other horse. <laughs> right. Talk, talk to your own horse, but don't talk to the other Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think in those kind of situations, um, if if we're moving into a space where we do need to confront, mm-hmm. right, that we that we seek to talk to the other horse person. Like yeah, that's kind of yeah. like, that's where like the word, the the, essentially, essentially the, 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 the idea of namaste is grounded, right? Yes. Like, that's that, assuming that, that, though that you can get through their horse. Again. And cause right. I, there was something I was, um, reading or recently where the concept was that with the way the brain works is that communication comes first through the lowest, the most primitive part of the brain, then goes to the mid brain, oh, yeah. then goes yeah, to no, the like, cortex, li- lizard right? brain first. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, you you know and and we often assume that our neocortex is talking to their neocortex but actually actually it's going down through you know through the emotional and through the ego and through that stuff and then it gets up to the logical well, part so you can also like if you stop for a moment and don't so that's what we're saying too like pause recognize what's happening so that development of the observer helps you get out of the reptile brain so that you go up this way Right. Right. So, um, like the impulse you- comes through, but you can, the, the recognizing there's an observer going into curiosity, right? right. Like, um, and it's interesting because like, if you're looking at the Bible, for example, right, it says, do not be afraid more than any other phrase. I just read an article about this not recently. Really? Yes. Huh. Do not be afraid more than any other phrase. So, and, and that teaching, like, I love how Gandhi saw Jesus's teaching on turning the other cheek, uh-huh. right? It, he didn't see it as, and that teaching has been used to push colonialism through, right? right. That was yeah. a teaching that they told those they were oppressing, you better be Christ-like and lay down because he said, turn yeah. the other cheek. And Gandhi saw it as, it wasn't saying lay down and be a doormat, right? Um, and they did that to women as well, right? So he wasn't saying lay down and be a doormat. The the impulse when someone hits you is to either run or hit back, mm-hmm. right. right? And so that teaching was don't do either. Right. And in mm-hmm. that space, you raise above. That's when you're coming out of that reptilian brain. When you're kind right. of like trans-establishment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It right. is, it is transcending and the, that. And so that's, that's when you're working within yourself and... Um, often when you're communicating to other people, though, you do have to get through. Their right. Well, I mean, this is the thing that the masters and- all did, right, though? Like, if you're looking at any of the masters, then um, in, in whatever tradition that you're looking at, like, they had this amazing, profound effect on the people that knew them in their time, right? Right. And I think the reason they were able to have that impact is because they always talked writer to writer, they always assumed yes. they identified with that rider. Right. They did not identify that being with the horse. Right. Right. And so this is, and we've talked about this on one of the podcasts before. I have an issue with this. Um, uh, I think modern Christian teaching gets us to identify with the ego because it says, oh, you're it's very, it's very it's, it's very dominionist, actually. Yeah. Right? And, it's like, yeah. and it was written that way. King James yeah. wrote that version to be dominionist. So, right. um, but it's that sort of idea that we're all corrupt. We're getting people to identify themselves as the horse. We're getting the, they right. identify right. themselves with the ego as opposed to identifying themselves with the rider, identifying with the, themselves with the spirit and seeing the ego as a jacket. The, essentially 
actually the Christ within. Yeah. 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 So instead of seeing like, okay, I identify myself with the writer and the ego is just this jacket that I wear while I'm here. Right. 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 And, (laughs) and I think if we look um, at the way that, that Jesus interacted with people, same thing with Muhammad and Buddha and right. Like when Uh we're looking at these things, they, they were always talking to the writer and people that that the society had said, oh, no, they're beasts. They're terrible. Right. You can't talk to them. They're irredeemable, right? Those right. were precisely the people that they looked at and and saw the writer, spoke mm. to the writer, and that calling the writer up is what is what brought the transaction up and was able right. to right to, to call that that movement into into being. Yeah. Is that Cl- yeah, I see your, your wheels are like clicking yeah. so hard right now. Are you are you in a space where you can articulate any of what's going on? Or? Um, no, because it's all just sort of things are shifting around and okay. everything. And and I'm um, the story that I'm working on is has to do with a lot of this stuff. So I'm I was just kind of thinking about sort of the implications for that and everything. And there's okay. yeah, there's this one character that I've I've come up with and I haven't quite figured out how the story plays out and so um so yeah so it's just that's where my mind just kind creation of creation like, is happening like right possibilities, now possibilities like all these sort so of like, paths are appearing will the, will the future be grounded in white supremacy <laughs> <laughs> no All right, okay. so now we're gonna do implementation station for real since we got <laughs> off track on our last segment. We had to contact for implementation station. All of a sudden, we talked about the King James Bible. <laughs> right, it's a typical kitchen table alchemy <laughs> podcast, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Right. So, okay, so what are the things that individuals can do if they want to have? Um, you know, start having that dialogue about race or, you know, really anything that's Well, I think just looking at general dialogue even. Like getting getting involved. Yeah. So, um, so let's get the whole pragmatic stuff out the way and then we can go into the deep philosophy. Well, because this little section is like 10, 15 minutes. So this is really, yeah. No, we'll be like, boom, boom, boom. So, because we're, cause we're like, all one about of the, the bill appointed lists here. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so one of the things that uh, that we had talked about before we turned uh, the, the Facebook Live event on and before we started recording the podcast um, was how in discussion, we in this culture don't really think about discussion. We think more in terms of debate. Right. And, right. and, and argument and oppositional. And a there's a winner like, and a loser. It's right. an oppositional. I want to, like, clearly you are the problem with the world and I want to convince you of my way of thinking Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that in generally the most oppressive way imaginable right. um, and thereby perpetuate that culture and, quite frankly, not convince you of, of really a whole hell of a lot um, because I'm thinking about it wrong. Um, but there's a, there's, a couple different, um, there's a couple different pieces to that, um, and I want to talk about them, some of them really, really seriously. Um, so... But if, if we can go back to the pragmatics and then kind of get back to that. So so a lot of people are saying, how do I get engaged? How do I get involved? Including like, well, how do I even talk about race with people? Right. So my first thing is, is, you know, like re- really so self-educate, self-educate, self-educate. You want you want to develop an analysis. You want to really understand, um, you know, look into what microaggressions are and um, and start really, really getting in touch with your privilege. I know that that is really hard and deep work. 
So about that, I want to say there are things we can do now. There are things we can do every day. There are things we can do on the in the immediate level. Well, but, and I want to say but, too, like if we get people to think about every conversation that they're in, right? So this doesn't exactly. even have to be a conversation about race. This doesn't have to be a conversation about Pure, class. Exactly. This doesn't. This right. is every conversation that we're in. If we just really start paying attention to how we talk to people, and that that's about dismantling is, oppression, right? Like yes, that's exactly. about dismantling oppression. Period. Right. Yes. Like we, and that is like my, I'm as much as I am, I'm very, very focused on race right now. And I'm, I'm mostly in racial justice spaces. You know, my, I'm, I am also, <clears throat> I, I do a lot of work with um, the trans community and I do a lot of work with other, other oppressions as well. You know, I, so, so my, I'm actually rooted in countering oppression period across the board. And again, that goes to power, right? Yeah. So power over specifically. So, right. Yeah. Power like it goes but it also goes to like equalizing power dynamics. Like recognizing like and, and we we all live in the world, right? We all live in where you are my boss and I am not your boss, right? Um, and if we can recognize essentially who is in power, like institutionally, or who we even have think has the we, we have the illusion has the power, right? Who has a relational power, who has you know, um, social power or whatever. Um, and we kind of like start shooting to equalize that. And, and from the one side, it looks like essentially challenging people who are powering over. Right. But also when we are in power, like, and I would say that, you know, I'm a little bit in power in this space, right? Like we're talking about racial justice and I'm a trainer and whatever. I have some power here. I think what is my duty first and foremost is to push that out and be like, I am not, we are all equal in this space. Like, and I'm hoping that I, I did an okay job of that, right? And But that is what I shoot for, is that we are all equal in this space. We all come from our own different experiences. And if we work collectively together, like, then we create a power that is new and amazing. And, and so, so really, really thinking about um, power mapping and, and stuff like that. But I, I think there are things we can actually do practically and immediately, Right. And I think, but I think the one thing I want to, uh, I want to really, really caution all the viewers and everybody who will listen. Um, I have been taught by some of the best and every single conversation ends up with, and I am a sprinter. I'm a natural sprinter. I'm a person who does big, I move big mountains in a very short period of time and then I collapse and I'm done. And that's the project, right? This is a marathon. This is a, marathon. This is a lifetime marathon. You will not, you know, if you work really hard, become like totally anti-racist mm-hmm. in the next three months and be like done. This is a marathon. We will be working on this our entire life. The work will not be com- completed in our lifetimes. And we need to start learning new skills and new tools and new mindsets to think about how are we in this in the long haul, right? And that does include things like self-care. That includes like when you are in a shitty place, right, that you sit your butt at home, right? right? Like you cannot bring something to that space and it doesn't matter how important it might be that you're in it. But if you are not in a good place, if you are feeling ill, if you're whatever, if you are sleep deprived Mm -hmm. and some people do better being sleep deprived than others, I have chronic insomnia. So I'm, I'm a little bit better, but the fact is there are certain moments in sleep deprived where I should not be driving and I should not be engaging in any dialogue with anybody at all. Right. I'm always saying I'm not (laughs) fit for human consumption. Exactly. (laughs) 
you know. So <laughs> to, sweet Jason to think to, to think about <laughs> those things, it is it is it is a marathon, and and I am not I don't I'm not good at marathoning. Mm-hmm. You know, I am I still am in kind of like a sprint and I'm just trying to get stronger, you know, like, and I kind of sprint from project to project, which when you do training and we do protest stuff and whatever, yeah, okay, you can do that. But the fact is, is like, when I go on vacation, racism does not go away. There are a lot of people, including members of Allies for Racial Equity Leadership, who are on vacation over the last few weeks, Right. right? Like, and then what do you do then? Do you stay on vacation because Lord knows you need time to regroup? Or do you come out and and start dealing with the trauma, right? The trauma well, in your community. And I think, too, that, you know, going back to what you were saying er- earlier about the time urgency and things like that is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, things are often not as urgent as you think they are. And yep. there's, you know, there's more time to, to do things. And, and I know in business too, you know, projects always seem to take longer than you think they're going to mm-hmm. take. Yep. And it's just, it just seems to be one of those universal truths that there's more time than you think there is. So wanna, there's a lot of well, ego and thinking right, you have right. to do it now. No, very yeah. true. I used, to call it mom, I used to call it mommy ego because that's yeah. when I saw it show up for me um, was the idea that if I didn't do it, the world was just going to fall apart. Oh, that whole thing about the first five years of life are like the most critical and you're like, I have to completely transform so, my baby's life I know, right? and I only have oh five years. So, so something that's coming <laughs> yeah. up for me as far as like really practical things that people can do and implement, I think first mm-hmm. of all, paying attention to your discussions and just being aware that we tend to actually frame things in terms of debate, which Mm -hmm. is ideological war. That's where war starts is when you want to start dominating people in those spaces. And, and one of the, uh, one of the exercises that I think people could do also when they're in that space, and this is something that I do with couples that I work with is to get them to do these exercises where the one party talks for two minutes without stopping. Ooh, diets. Yes. And the other person is not allowed to say a word. Yes. Right. And, um, and they can use all the nonverbal that they want to, Right? right, they can nod, they can reach out and touch, they can, but they are not allowed to say a word. Not, mm-hmm, yes, oh, gotta hear you, right? Like, right. and and that is a really good exercise. If you can find someone to do that, ex- and then you flip the tables and do it with the other person, and they talk t- constantly for two minutes, it's really interesting to see all the inner dialogue that comes up when someone else is talking, mm-hmm. and the ways that that shuts our ears off. Right. Because are we really listening when we're because I think a lot that's a big part of debate is that you're not so busy thinking about what you're going to say next to counter their argument that you're not really listening to what they're saying. saying. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to practice listening and, and like one of the things on our little bullet pointed how to counter oppression list is try try to listen more than you speak. Yeah. Right, which is really funny in this space, right? I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we're like, Whoa. Um, and I am a t- I mean, some of you are watching and you know me and you know I'm a talker and you know that that's really hard for me to do. But I actually do try and practice that. I really, really try and listen. You know, um, and also um, to um, to be o- to be open, like that. You know, I'll just go into 
Koenig, and then we'll do the bullet pointed list after that, right? Okay. Like so, uh, in like um, four minutes, it's going to yeah. cut us off. No, we're going to. Uh, <laughs> we're good. So there is there. My mother shared this with me years and years ago, and I I, uh, I finally um, got a written thing of it, and I translated. And there was a guy named Cardinal Koenig who was very very well regarded in Austria. He was a Catholic cardinal, um, and he came up with five rules of dialogue, which I translated, and we just that's what we were talking about before we started this thing. So I'm just going to kind of read, not even the whole thing, um, but kind of like the salient point about it. Okay. So, um, so the first one is um, that um, to be in conversation or to have dialogue is no surrender of the truth. Um, we know on what ground we stand. Um, and this is written from a Christian perspective. He says, for Christians, Christ is the way and the truth. This is no reason for arrogance or oppression. But it is reason for fearlessness and courage. The fact is, and we were talking about this before, is like there is no need for me to defend if I am grounded in my in my right. understanding. Right. Second rule um, is it's not a dialogue is not a simple confrontation of ideologies. Right. And this is here it is. It's like you know well, I think this and I think that. What well, you're that saying might about be, the debate? It's you know, right. is right. Debate versus dialogue. So um, he says. Um, we don't wish to encapsulate or closet ourselves in, in our own truth, but we want to offer ourselves into the world as partners in conversation with all of the risks and potentialities of such a conversational process. Um, and we hope the same of our conversational partners. So the third rule is dialogue is not just a simple tactic. Right. And then we want to think about that because like one of the things I say most is like, okay, we are going to have a conversation. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And that's like a tactic, right? Like that's a tactic to convince you of the, of the rightness of right. what I have to say. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, you know, we're going to have a conversation now, which means I'm going to talk at you until you surrender. Right? <laughs> you know, my ex-husband did that. <laughs> he says, we put forth a trust in our conversational partners to have the same intellectual honesty and approachability, mm. um, that we establish for ourselves. Mm. Um, dialogue must not be abused or misused. Mm. It's aim or goal should always be the search for even the smallest common ground mm. on which we can then build. So rule number four is not dialogue is not simply a theoretical debate. Dialogue must always and does have practical consequences um, from these spiritual understandings and these revelations. One must sooner or later draw concrete conclusions, right? Whether or not that's like Okay, well, I'm good where I am and you good where you are, or whether or not there's some transformation for both of us. Right. And rule number five is dialogue is an adventure. <laughs> Indeed. Um, to be in conversation is to have an adventure because nothing is more rewarding but also frustrating and unsettling than an encounter with another person and their thoughts. Mm. Um, Christians can be completely fearless in this because they know the actual real conversational director or the mediator or the leader of that conversation is God. And I would ask anybody who is not in a Christian context, and I am not in a Christian context. I grew up Catholic, but that was a long time ago. Um, but to do the translation in your head, right, that whether or not it is spirit or the universe or it is Unity, or just the whatever, love between the two that, of us, yeah, right, right, that is directing that conversation. We recognize we are not directing that conversation. You are not directing that. And that has all everything right. to do about essentially 
sharing power and pushing power. Right. Out, Opening right? ourselves up to something. So, um, yeah. so I found this to be really profound because I am, I am a master debater, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I am, and I am somebody who is grounded in logic and reason and I will, I can, you can, what I, you can tell me the sky's blue and I can prove you wrong. You know, and, um, and, it, it 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 was harder for me. There are certain things that were not hard for me. I did not grow up with certain prejudices. I did not grow up with certain assumptions of superiority over others that some people have in this country. Um, I did grow up mostly in this country, but it was very, very isolated, and I grew up within an immigrant family that had a different culture. But um, something like this, right, was really, really a challenge for me, and is still a challenge for me every single day, is to stop, especially when I, I identify someone as doing something that is oppressive or is a problem or right. I mean I recently had a anybody who is friends of mine on Facebook I just had a little email from the neighborhood guy and let me tell you um, that was this moment where I was like oh you are the problem right like right. <laughs> you know no, and, uh, yeah, and this is an invitation to look at all those conversations and see right. how these dynamics are playing in that space right is look at those conversations that are happening with your with your partner with your kids yes. with your friends uh, with the guy that's the, the right. that thinks because he's the neighborhood patrol chief, he's now. Are you in dialogue with the other person as an equal? Right, like, and that's mm-hmm. what, like, when we suspend judgment, which is really hard, especially when we're deep in this work and we think that there is this right way to be in the world. Right, another aspect of white supremacy culture. Right, only one right way. Right, and we think that, like, then we do not. I do not enter into a conversation with you as an equal. Like, you are absolutely inferior to me because you just spouted this bigoted thing, right? Like, I have to get into a place where I am talking to you as an equal. Right. You're talking writer to writer. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, so that, wow, that ties into that. All right. So I think that's a great place for us to close. Uh, We went over again this this time, but we hope that you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us.